Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Line Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Welcome to White Line Fever. This is the start of this week's show. My name's Steve Mascord, but our first guest is a fellow who has been on the program the last uh, three episodes, or last two including this. It's Rachel Boland. Hello, Rachel. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello. Now, um, reading an interview, um, reading a recent interview, you said you, we still get mad about the same things and we still get happy about the same things. I think you're talking about yourself and Snake when you're writing. Um, and also, you when you're psyching yourself up to write for a record, you don't listen to anything recorded after 1979. Um, what what gets you mad? What what gets you you and Snake mad? Is it the same thing? What what sort of things fire you up when you when you go in to write a song? Well, like just on a personal level, things that get me me mad is when people try to tell me, "Now you shouldn't do that," and that's a surefire way of me trying. 10 times harder to accomplish the goal that people tell me I can't do because I'm doing it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I, <laughs> I've known Snake since 1986, and I could say 100% that he's absolutely the same way, if mm-hmm. not more so. Um, you know, that, that fires us up, and that's always, you know, we're in our 50s now, and I don't know where all this teenage angst comes from, but mm-hmm. it's in there, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. It keeps coming to the surface every time we write, you know, um, and it just the, the kind of the feeling of whatever riff we're working with dictates the, um, the subject matter sometimes, mm. and and that's just kind of how we do it, you know. Um, mm. The same thing that makes everyone else in the world happy makes us happy, you know. Just being able to do what you do and have a good time at it, and, but uh, yeah, those those are the things that piss us off pretty good. It sounds like actually that being told by promoters and journalists and people on social media what your lineup should be actually informs your writing in a way that you kind of like feel, you know, you still feel rebels in that way because other people are trying to tell you what you should be doing and who should be in your band. Is that is that true? Does that actually inform your writing a little bit and maybe give it a little bit of an edge that everyone's telling you what you should be doing? Well, you know, just in general telling us what we should do, not so much promoters or whatever, but just, like I said, if if I want to do something the long way and someone tells me, no, do it this way, it, it's much easier and here's the shortcut. I don't take the shortcut, man. It's like, <laughs> no, this is the way I'm going to do it. I want to I want to absorb the whole, whole experience. I don't care if it's easier some other way, you know? And that just kind of gives me more determination to yeah. accomplish things. The, all the shows you've got uh, in the books at the moment, what do you, how do you kind of, um, you, you, you spent a large portion of your life on the road, so how do you sort of not lose it, like as far as like mentally, physically, do you have a routine, do you have rules, do you say, I'm only going to have a beer after the Friday night show every week, or I'm only going to have a beer in the big cities, or I'm, I'm going to make sure I'm up early, go for a run, or, you know, do you have these little rules that, that keep you sane and fit on the road, or is it just... You know, you fix everything when you get home, you know, and just do whatever enters your head when you're on the road and, and make up for it when you get home. How do you how do you do it? Well, me personally, um, I do try to get out more instead of just sitting in a hotel room or, or laying in my bunk on the bus. You know, I, I try to get out more these days than I have in the past. But um, I just kind of try to live my life like I do at home. I don't 
try, as soon as <laughs> as soon as I put regulations on myself, I seem to just cross boundaries. So, <laughs> uh, you know, if I want to have a beer after the show, if I want to have a beer with lunch before the show, I'm going to do it. You know, hmm. I never got into drugs, so that's not even a concern. My whole thing is just to it, it's music and playing is just such a part of my life. What if I do it? Whatever I do at home, I do the same thing on the road because, you know, it, it, it's it's ridiculous to try and change schedules. I, I try – the one thing I do try to pay attention to is eating a little healthier because it's so easy just to eat garbage <laughs> on the road, you know, out of convenience. And mm. I really try hard to uh, eat more healthy on the road. Mm. Okay. And I've got two more questions, Rachel, I'll let you go. One is, you know, you've been talking about you've had offers from record companies. Uh, you, you're, looking, you know, you're looking for a deal or you're between deals. Any news? Have you got a deal now for, for this new record? We are in the works with the deal and uh, but can't announce it yet. Sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. And maybe this is a crossover. Maybe I'm asking you the same question twice here. But in the most recent interview I could find with you, you said there's another big announcement coming up. Is was that is that about the record or is there another big announcement coming up? And if so, can you tell us? Can you make it exclusively here, please? <laughs> it is uh, it, it is about the record. All right, okay. The, the label. All right, okay, okay. So hopefully more than one one record in the next deal, or are you just going to do it one at a time? Or um, well, that's what we're working on right now. Actually, that's one of the uh, bullet points. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's nice. To... Sorry. <laughs> It's nice to speak to you. I think we're bang on 15 minutes. So um, thanks very much for your time, Rachel. And uh, I will just get you to uh, give us one more song. Well, since we're closing it out, we got to close it out with Youth Gone Wild, man. Yeah, another bird that
Rachel Bone from Skid Row, and you are listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to the program. Our next guest, a guy I've been trying to get on to the show for quite some time. Uh, it's it's uh, Eric Martin from Mr. Big and Avantasia. How are you, Eric? Ta-da! <laughs> what do you do? What do you do when somebody like gives you that big introduction? You know, like, yeah, hey, we got Eric Martin. Ta-da! Just got out of prison. <laughs> I'm um, I'm interested. You're um, we're, we're here to talk about Avantasia, and that's why this was uh, interview was arranged because you're off to Australia. Um, you've toured on your own. You've toured with I think one other guy. You've toured with a band and a full road crew, and now you're part of this massive production. I, I just wonder how do they compare? Like, is it more fun to to be on the road? Is more people equal more fun, or would you? How do you, how does it compare? Um, well, with Mr. Big, I've you know I've known the guys for. 30 years, right? And uh, in our last couple of tours, we did hang out pretty pretty tight, obviously, because our drummer, Pat, was going through Parkinson's and we, we rallied together big time. But for the most part, for the most part of the, those 30 years, we, sh- we shined on stage, but we didn't really hang that much uh, on the off days or when we come off stage, we're pretty quiet, there's no like, woohoo, that was an amazing show, that was so great. We just kind of go, ah, oh, good show, and then we just kind of drift in different directions. And not to say we're not good friends, it was just, that's the dynamic that we had. So it was kind of a, and I, you know, I, I they used to tell me all the time, Eric, you gotta calm down. I, I was definitely like the class clown of Mr. Big for years. <laughs> Trying to, trying to put some spark into the guys sometimes. I mean, sweetheart guys, lovely people, but they're private mm. uh, char- characters, right? Mm. Mm. But with Aventasia, oh man, it's just, <laughs> it's like a traveling circus, traveling party. I love all these guys. I'm not just, I'm not the only class clown in, in the situation. I love hanging out with these guys. They're really interesting. They've all had tastes of success they don't bring uh, their crazy band baggage to our ensemble you know it's just I like hanging out with these guys I mean I I know this is I can't think of any cooler thing to say than it reminds me of Boy Scouts (laughs) you know it just has that camaraderie of a bunch of dudes you know hey hey, call up your call up 14 15 your best friends and let's go to the bar tonight that's how it feels. That's awesome. That's awesome. We we spoke to Bob Catley the other day. Um, was he a guy you knew before you did this? I obviously knew of him, but did you know him as a as a person? You know, no, I, I, as a person. Yeah. <laughs> before, And I told him I was a fan, and and I I asked him, hey, 
would you come out and sing to be with you with me? And he goes, well, I don't really, I can't really do an English accent. I'm the, and I even, I even have a brother from Black, Blackheath, yeah. like, you know, outside of London. And uh, he always tells me, you know, that just like any American that tries to speak English or Australian or, or British or Australian, we sound like Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> well, there's so many accents here. It's not just one accent, is it? So he's got like oh, a no, Brummie no. accent, and, you know. And everybody's got different ones here because we do have um, some some Brits in the crew. Um, and there's there's Geordies. There's, I don't know if that's a slang name or if I'm not trying to be offensive, but got people from Yorkshire and Geordie, you know. Hmm. Got all kinds of accents. Same thing like in America. I don't know what it would be like in Australia. Though. You know, there's like- there's small differences, small, but you've got to listen very carefully. Like, uh, like for instance, in in West Australia, they'll say beer instead of beer and pool. You know, like there's very very small differences. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are regional differences, but you have to spend a lot of time there. So, well, again, like in America, I mean, like the New York voices, like this, how you doing, it? <laughs> and then uh, and if you're from Alabama or like a, you know. Like, Oh my God! My daddy says I'm the best kisser in the county. You know, <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble next time I go to Alabama. You know, that's you, you, I got to always start a interview with saying that I am the class clown of the band or the clown prince of rock and roll, and then I could get away with murder. Mm. Anyway, um, yeah, I asked Bob Catley to come out and sing with me, and, and he, he was great. He even had a little piece of paper that he was reading and. Um, and he has this, like, oh, wonderful to be. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't have a David Coverdale voice, but he, yeah, he has that kind of, you know, like he like he lives in a castle. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of pot, posh Birmingham, which is a. It's not Ozzy Osbourne. It's nothing like Ozzy Osbourne. Um, <laughs> um, the, you finally made it to Australia with uh, Mr. Big. Um, obviously, maybe bittersweet given the timing. But uh, what what were your um, impressions? My impressions, well, first of all, it was first for us, you know, coming to Australia, and it was also a perfect match touring with Extreme. We loved it. We loved it. I mean, I had been to Australia maybe 10 years before that, six years before that, doing a, um, a solo tour that took me around to 10 or 12 cities. And I think with Mr. Big, I mean, it was a long time coming. I don't know why all those times of playing in Southeast Asia that we didn't just take one of those little junks or a little boat <laughs> across the water and, and play some shows. It was ridiculous. Never, it was either too expensive or we were on a tight schedule or something. But it, but I don't know why we didn't make the time. I mean, who? it's not every artist that gets a, a number one single in a whole country. Mm-hmm. We had it with to be with you, and, and we just never took advantage of it. But um, we finally did show up, and it was great shows. And I mean, yeah, I think there was four shows or something. I mean, I had been there before, but every time I I've been buttering up your paradise <laughs> to uh, Toby, and and I, I call him Toby and the Immortals. That's my <laughs> pet name for Aventasia. Uh, I've been kind of telling him about how exciting and beautiful and you know, the culture and food and all kinds of stuff where, you know, they all can't wait to go. And everybody talks about, like, every other, every country. So, you know, like, I'm sure there's Australians 
that like w- want to leave and go see other places in the world. But um, everybody that you talk to that are in the rock world, you know, your favorite place to play. Once they've been to Australia, they say Australia. You know. Yeah, I I moved to London and suddenly all the good bands started touring Australia, including yourself, so that kind of sucked. Uh, I moved here because I thought there were, um, this is like headquarters for rock and roll and suddenly everyone went to tour Australia. Um, can you tell me, um, can we have a song? We'll have a song, Eric. Um, what song can we play? <laughs> when you said that earlier, I thought you meant for me to sing a song right now. No, 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 like, no, no. Yeah, that's going to cost you uh, $350. No. Are you on PayPal? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what song did, can you play an Aventasia song yes yes yeah can you play the song Dying for an Angel
Mr. Big and Avantasia, and you're listening to the great music on White Line Fever. Welcome back to White Line Fever and uh, the second part of our interview with Corey Glover from Living Colour. It's an honour to have him on the program. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. Uh, Corey, you were talking about the 2017 album Shade in the first part of the interview, and you said a lot of it is about um, um, things that are happening uh, now. I, I, as, as someone who sort of followed Living Colour from the very start, I always thought that, um, you, you know, there was obviously a political bent and a lot of social awareness, and, 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 and in the interviews, um, you know, we did a lot of interviews back then with Hot Metal Magazine in the late 80s, early 90s. There, a lot of the interviews went, went over time because there was a lot of discussion about, um, about social issues. Now, um, mm-hmm. what... And, and I always thought that there was a, some sort of hope or of a utopia in the future where a lot of these problems have been resolved. But we, we never actually got there, did we? We never actually got to... Yeah, no. um, where, are, where are we now? Where do we get to, do you think? <laughs> I, I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a few steps forward and, and several steps back is where we are right now. You know, we have made some progress. We have made some things a little bit better. But a song like Open Letter to a Landlord still, still has relevance, mm. you know. Uh, you know, on the on the new record, we have we covered uh, the Taurus Bigs who shot you. Yeah, yeah. And that 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 the proliferation, at least in North America, of uh, of gun violence is incre- is ridiculous. We thought we'd think that we'd be a little more enlightened about that kind of stuff. So, you know, we are still trying. What we write about is what we live, mm. and what we see in the world, mm. uh, and what we perform is about what we see in the world. And unfortunately, some of it's good hmm. so unfortunately some of it's good unfortunately some a lot of it is bad yeah yeah have you um have you ever had your sort of music used for a political cause that you didn't agree with or have you got a have you got a um a policy about the use of the music for for, for, for you know political causes and you know and 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 have you ever felt tempted to i don't know to to run for office or you know or get no, involved in no, that in that way I, i've never run for office but you know um while, you know, here in the States, the last couple of months have been an election season. Mm. And and you hear cult of personality a lot. Mm. Um, and there was a, you know, there, were, there have been discussions on, on in, in certain news cycles about about the, the word cult of personality, the, the phrase cult of personality, and of course the song gets played with it. Mm. And otherwise, you know, in terms of campaigns, we've been asked in the past, for, to use some of our songs for certain things, and depending on you know, we we basically have refused up until now. So we'll mm. see what happens. Mm. Is there a cause that you would you would get behind? Yeah, I, I'm sure there is uh, one I can think of right now. Uh, hell no, um, <laughs> but uh, but you know, it, times up. For example, is a song mm. about you know the environment. Mm. It's really about the environment and. Um, the idea of when we wrote it was like the time is now to change things, and what we're finding out now from climate scientists is that time is up. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no turning back now. We, there's nothing we can really do about it, other than other than mitigate whatever problems come up. So it's funny that the song that's that's 25 years old is, is still is still relevant now. Tell me, who was um, when when Cult of Personality first sort of bubbled to the surface? Was there was there a face or a group of faces in the minds of the band when they created the song? Was there a certain 
uh, person who inspired, or, or was there a, was there a certain type of person? Um, it was it was just it, you know it was the idea of of a political personality mm. of a uh, that um, you know back then it, who knows what it could have been. It was you know Ronald Reagan probably, mm. um, and that he had you know there was not. Not particular, not just a cult of personality, but the, they cultivated who he was and what he represented. Mm, mm. Um, they did. They did the same thing with John F. Kennedy. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, they did. They did it during and posthumously. Mm-hmm. They did. They, um, you know, but there was this idea that in order to it, it, that that a political ideology is a commodity that you have to sell. Yeah, That's yeah, what we're yeah. Talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rather than the actual issues, it's all about it's all about just engaging people with personalities. Why don't we have um why don't why don't we have a, another song for you and we'll come back with the final bit of the interview for the listeners that'll be in the next episode. Cool. Let's play uh, Times Up. Talk about that.
Corey Glover from Living Color, and you're listening to White Line Fever. Welcome back to the program. I am at a uh, memorabilia fair at St Helens in the bowels of uh, the Totally Wicked Stadium, and Mascot Browns is operating, and there's a lot of amazing memorabilia around here. And I have a very special guest uh, on the uh, our rugby league guest on this program. It's Trevor Delaney, the man who found the World Cup. Identified it. <laughs> I didn't actually find it, uh, but I was the man who uh, really identified it when it went into the press. Another gentleman actually found it, but he, he hadn't a clue what it was at the time. Uh, and took it to the police, and it went through the usual process. Uh, and I was fortunate that, uh, being a rugby league historian, I immediately identified it when, when it, you know, it was in the press at the time. Um, I like to think uh, it was saved in a way because he was going to give it to a mate of his who who ran a a bodybuilding uh, uh, spa sort of thing and uh, he told me that it was going to be more or less melted down and uh, used as their annual award so uh, in that sense it's fantastic nowadays to see it uh, going all around the world places like Papua New Guinea, Singapore uh, to see Nigeria involved in it and uh, it's great that we've got this iconic uh, trophy uh, you know back on board and uh, making the full use of it in, in, in connection with the 2021 World Cup what state was it in when you first saw it? Uh, well, at the time, it, they were using it to, to put the kids' toys in. And uh, the, the, so the lid was damaged, as I remember it. Uh, of course, the, uh, the cockerel was missing, which I think has been replaced lately. Uh, and it was a look, looked a bit dented. Uh, so I'm amazed now to see that it's been fully renovated and looking absolutely sparkling brand new. Um, uh, so, you know, it wasn't in very good condition when I did see it, but uh, it obviously was the trophy that went missing 20 years previous. Can you um, just talk us through your thinking when you first laid eyes on it? What, what were the circumstances and, 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 and when, when did that sort of uh, um, light bulb appear above your head that that's what it was? <laughs> well, I, I knew straight away it was because it's a unique shape. It was in someone's lounge room or where was it? Uh, Well, it was in the press, this gentleman who'd found it. uh, He'd been trying to find out who the owner was uh, for something like two or three months. Uh, He'd been to various rugby union clubs and uh, tried to get it on the television to publicise it, and they said it was not a story, a non-story. He took it to the police, and um, after the the statutory 30 days or whatever, he he got the trophy back. Uh, so that he had one final attempt, obviously, to find out what it was, and it was in my local paper. So when I when I opened the paper on that that particular day, it, it, it just jumped out at me, you know, that I knew straight away. So I got straight on to the rugby league and the newspapers, and uh, I think I spoke with David Howes, who was the PRO at the time, but he was in a important management meeting. So he asked me to go up to see this gentleman who lived just up the road, uh, which I did, and uh, I convinced him that it was uh, the trophy. Uh, but it took some while to get it back. I think uh, it, this gentleman, I don't, I don't think he was totally convinced that the Rugby League owned it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it took about a week until uh, the Rugby League finally negotiated with him. Uh, he didn't want anything in, in, as a reward. I think he's since had tickets to one of the World Cup games. Uh, and I think it was Roger Millwood who uh, finally handed it over. Mm-hmm. He handed it over to Roger Millwood maybe a week afterwards, you know. <laughs> 
Now, can ago. you tell? You said you're a rugby league historian. Can you tell us a little bit about what that entails and where, how you sort of uh, became involved in the game and 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 and. and what your life is away from rugby league? Just tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, so I have a wife at home, apart from rugby. <laughs> uh, well, I've been watching the game, of course, since the, the 50s. So uh, I started uh, writing about it when I did the, the Grounds of Rugby League in 1990-ish. Um, and, uh, I think there's about to be a, um, an auction here, so we better we better pause, Trevor. But thanks, okay, thanks for yeah. your time. Thanks, Steve. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Nice
Jesper. I'm from D18. I am besides Steve Masper. We are naked. <laughs> and this is White Line Fever. Okay, welcome back to the program. Very special guest here, uh, Bob Catley from Magnum and, of course, Avantasia. That's why we're speaking to, uh, to him because they're off to Australia soon. Welcome, Bob. Yeah, how you doing, everybody? Good day. <laughs> <laughs> now, 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 Australia hasn't been one of the kind of prominent territories over the years for, for Magnum, has it? Um, have, you, have you spent much time there? Magnum would love to play in Australia, mm. but I, I think we have to start selling a few more albums in Australia mm. before some promoter says, oh, come on over, there's an audience for you. I mean, I, I know that we have Magnum fans who, uh, who, who love what we do in Australia, but I think we need to, uh, you know, um, have some chart positions or something in Australia before anybody will ask us over there. But it's a lovely thought. Um, <laughs> we play around Europe mainly, which is our main territories, um, Germany and Sweden and the UK. Uh, but yes, I mean, that's why I'm looking forward to coming over soon with Avantasia because I've never been there. And uh, we're playing in Sydney and Melbourne, as you probably know. Um, and it's going to be great, and it'll be a great experience for me personally. Um, uh, so, so I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, I can't wait to get there. Great. So what, what can the uh, fans in, in, in Sydney and Melbourne expect from you personally? How, how long are you on stage during the Avantasia show? Okay. Yes. Uh, well, uh, uh, I get to, I'm involved in five songs. Uh, but, uh, the first two, you come on and do two, and then uh, other people come on and do their part, songs with Tobias. Tobias is involved in all of them. So it's like duos, um, like, like, like an opera, only every metal rock. Mm. Uh, and I, I get to sing Lavender, which is on the new album, Moon Glow, uh, which was written by Toe before me, especially to sing on that record and then I sing a song that started me off with Avantasia all those years ago a song called The Story Ain't Over which uh, is a big crowd pleaser uh, everybody knows it and loves the song uh, and then other people come on and do their songs uh, the same and then I come back on and, and I do an, another two songs uh, but, but like duos uh, um, and with singing with somebody else uh, so uh, and then we have an encore situation hopefully we get an encore uh, and then everybody comes back on for that one and, and you take a couple of lines each in that song and then join on the chorus um, so it's good fun and um, I, I love singing with Avantasia it keeps me going <laughs> after all these years and it's, it's so nice to be invited you know mm. uh, time after time he, Tobias keeps asking me back so he must like what I do for him and I do get mm. a lot of pleasure out of doing it thank you yeah is it is it uh, I mean is it vocally a different or firstly the first question I was going to ask was you referred to in the publicity as a cast member is it like playing a role do you have to kind of put yourself into a different headspace or from your perspective is, is it just singing well, yeah, I mean, so on the albums, we're, the, you're a, a different character. Each album you appear on, it, it's an ongoing story uh, through all these albums, so I'm told by Tobias. Uh, but the characters keep changing throughout the story. 
uh, and but on the stage, uh, you're there just to raise your voice and <laughs> sing like you've been uh, invited to, mm. and uh, forget being a character. Mm. Uh, this it's not you're not doing the album on the stage. Just, mm. just highlights from. Uh, so you, uh, it's just an it's a it's a great gig like like I do with Magnum all the time, uh, but there I'm I'm just I'm the main singer and I'm there for, for hour hour forty five, but but here you can you can really go for it. You 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 pack all your energy and all the high notes. You pack them all into those two songs that you're on for, mm-hmm. and then the other two songs when you come back after your break. Uh, so you can really go for it. You don't have to pace yourself like like you would on a on a long Magnum tour, you know. Yeah. Because uh, I'd, I'd I'd be worn out after the first night if I did that. That'd be crazy, and I'd lose my voice. But uh, you're allowed to really show off and go for it, and you know shine, as I like to say. And um, we're all the same, and we all get such tremendous pleasure from it. And the audience as well. I mean, they, the audience get really involved. We try to get, keep them in, um, cheering us all the way through the, the show. It's, it's they're another member of Fabentasia. The audience are, and the atmosphere is terrific, as you will see when we eventually play in Sydney. Okay. Yeah, um, before we introduce the first song, I just wondered, like, obviously these days it's hard with record sales and you only get a few, a fraction of a cent for streams, but but there are new opportunities for musicians, aren't there, like Avantasia? Are there a number of things, Bob, that you uh, get involved in and, and, and I guess earn a living from that, that weren't around 20 years ago? Avantasia would be one of them. What are some of the other things that, the other opportunities, you know? Yes. Yeah, well, I've uh, yeah, I've um, uh, a couple of years ago, myself and Tony Clarkin, who the guitarist who writes the songs, uh, we did uh, we were invited on something called Rock Meets Classic, uh, which was uh, doing uh, we were allowed to do four Magnum songs, but with in front of a, an orchestra. Mm. It was a, 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 a classical rock tour with a, 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 an orchestra from the Czech Republic, all young people, younger than us anyway. Uh, and they, <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be hard, would it? And, uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, it was fantastic to perform like that. Um, we've done um, a, a, a quartet, quartet stuff before for a, a B-side many years ago. Uh, but this was like half of a most of an orchestra and it was fantastic to to hear the songs treated in that way uh i've seen other bands perform with the royal philharmonic orchestra deep purple have done it and other bands remember really marillion i think and this was fantastic to do it uh and i'll never forget that um, i've been in, involved with other projects over the years um but i i don't I to just stick to Magnum and Avantasia these days, mm-hmm. and I think that's only fair to the songwriters within those bands, to Tony Clark and in Magnum, and to Tobias Summit in Avantasia. If I if I would if I put myself out, you know, uh, to the highest bidder all the time, I think it would look rather cheap and nasty, and I don't want to be I don't want to become that person. So I I, I'm, I try to be very loyal. And to Tony and to Tobias, and I think that they they know that, and they're happy. Tony's Tony Clark and he's happy 
for me to sing for Tobias on Avantasia albums and tour it whenever that comes across. And Tobias is happy, more than happy for me to be the singer with Magnum uh, because that's why I'm there in the first place because he's such a big Magnum fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 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 I don't think he would appreciate me doing like the direct competition. There are other. Um, projects out there quite similar to Avantasia and I have been asked to appear on them but I, I said no I'm, I've got enough to do and it wouldn't be right it wouldn't be honourable to, mm. to keep doing that so uh, I stick to I, so I stick to what I've got which is Magnum and Avantasia and that's more than enough for me I tell you <laughs> it's enough and I can put, put my heart and soul into both of those uh, bands and, and that's how it should be TSO is one that comes to mind. Um, have you got a song for us? First song. Uh, and uh, I'd love you to play Lavender, which is on the new Avantasia album, Moon Glow album. They were taking small pains to not make him realise Made him feel he's different through and through A monster in his own way Communicates in quarantine Unleash down the world without a clue Surrounded by the ghosts of failing pictures They come and slip away Vivid memories roll and
blink between the dream and the memories and the embers of what we hoped it all would be. Welcome back to White Line Fever, and uh, for the second episode in a row, I'm here with Tom from Classic 78. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you, Steve. It's I, good to be here. Yeah, th- thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, uh, being with us. Now, I thought the, this interview is in three parts, and I thought I, this part I'll talk about some practical stuff, and then, and then the third part I'll talk about some broad brush, almost sort of, I don't know, we'll, we'll, I'll surprise, we'll wait, we'll wait till the third part before we get that. But from a practical point of view, the song you played on the last episode was Jendel. Now, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Gene would have advised Ace to copyright uh, the, the name of the planet, Gentel. Um, I guess part of the, you know, you've got to tiptoe around legal issues, particularly with, um, with a band as big as Kiss. Um, have there been any legal issues yet? Have you got professional advice about what you can and can't do? You obviously can't wear the makeup, or have you just kind of just been stumbling along and hoping you don't get in trouble? Uh, that's a good question. There's actually, you know, initially I thought about that when we were first putting it together because I didn't know it was kind of uncharted territory for us. So, but but basically, you know, we're not we're not um, we're not stealing anybody's uh, uh, you know trademarked uh, you know identity or or, or images, mm. and you know the sound of the band is intentionally you know trying to sound like something like early kiss but you know you you if we were actually stealing l- lyrics or stealing actual melody lines or actual guitar riffs and uh and saying it was uh us when it's really them or if we were doing what we were doing and saying it's kiss yeah. then now you're getting into now you're getting into some some legalities but you know we we stayed clear from that even to even to to the point of having the same kind of font on the on on the, with the name you know we mm. didn't want to even could the music sound so much like those early kiss records that we didn't want to to uh you know to to take away from that by being uh like you said cheeky and mm. start using like lightning bolt s's and stuff on the, <laughs> the classic and stuff because like, it's it's not it's totally a tribute to those guys and, and the sound that they created in those albums that means so much to us is there's nothing you know uh, there's nothing um sinister about it at all and you know fortunately for us the, the feedback that we've gotten you know not only from the fan base but from from paul and from from uh, from Gene, you know that that's been communicated to us has been nothing but positive, and you know they they seem to they seem to, to to be pretty wowed by it. And in Paul's words, it's like he enjoyed it even just for the novelty of it, because the novelty of it is it's a Kiss album without actually being a Kiss album. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Kiss stop touring. Is that good for you or bad for you? Um, if if it's it doesn't it it doesn't really. Uh, it doesn't really uh, affect anything because we're not 
we're not touring or we're not trying to find a place in, in the marketplace where, oh, they're not doing it, so let's go out and start touring or we better stay off the road because they're going to tour. That the, Everything we've done has been about the music and letting people experience the music themselves. So, you know, you know, in, in simple terms, if you're listening to uh, one of the songs, Let Me Rock and Roll You from the first you know, from the first uh, classic 78 album, you know, I don't want you to think about me singing that song. I want to, I want you to be thinking about those early images of kiss that used to blow your mind when you were listening to kiss records, staring at those album covers, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's not important that you think of Tom from classic 78. We want you to, to connect with those old, uh, those feelings that you had when you discovered that music. It, this is just an extension of that. That's been created in a unique and fun way, totally as a tribute without any, without any, um, Again, without any hoaxing going on, it's it's we're classic '78. These are songs that we've written, but we're intentionally, you know, attributing, you know, uh, those early Kiss days. So there's no future for classic '78 as a live band. Uh, I don't I don't think so. I mean, only because there's um, there's a lot of people who don't want to know who we are. <laughs> you know, that's why, you know, like I, you know, you know my last name, but you know, uh, the reason why I don't mention my last name when we do interviews or. Or, uh, what any of us do interviews is just because most people don't want to know. They like to they they like to have the the image that they have in their own mind about what's going on. So uh, we don't want to we don't want to blow that mystique for them because again, mystique is something that Kiss had uh, mm. in in bucketfuls back in the seventies, and that mystique is gone because uh, you know everybody knows who these guys are and what they look like. So that's a little bit of a ingredient that we can add to the to our to our music just by not revealing my last name or revealing our identities um and you know touring is something that's tough for for actual acts who are out there doing it who have you know 20 30 40 year careers and um i don't think it would be something that um would be beneficial for us or for the fan base at this point but if kiss cruise called us or if there was a significant event or a festival we would do it in a heartbeat because we're all capable and but those opportunities haven't haven't um, shown themselves, and we've expressed interest. But you know, it's not something that has been um, has become a reality. And it's important that we hit the target if we were to do something like that. Yeah, I think with the Kiss cruise uh, soon, Kiss won't be on their own cruise. So um, you know, they're, they're gonna, there's going to be there's going to be a spot in the, uh, in, in the in the schedule there for for other for other bands and for members. You know, playing playing solo and and maybe bands like yourself. It'll become like a kind of a tribute festival, won't it, the Kiss Cruise, so there might be an opportunity there. That's true, that's Mm. true. Yeah. Can we have another song? Yeah, I would say, uh, let's do um, Passion and Love from side one.
And our guest is someone who would have liked to have had on the podcast years ago. Now, Danko Jones, how are you, Danko? Hi, how's it, how's it going, Steve? Good, good. Now, um, you've been a bit ill. We are just talking off air about it. Um, you were just about to go on tour, most notably to Australia. Will you be okay? <laughs> Will I be okay? Yeah, you've been yeah, a bit ill today. I, I, <laughs> I should be fine. You should be fine. Now, it's first time in Oz for a while. Um, Tell me when you and you you played four gigs in four days again, exhaustion, you know. Um, um, but um, what was it like last time? And, and when you go on tour, do you kind of do the rock gig thing? Do you go to Bon Scott's grave and do all that sort of stuff, or or do you just try kind of, as you say, try to look after yourself? Uh, well, I mean, I don't really get sick very often. I just mm. I I got sick today because I, I just mentioned it online because. I had originally said I was going to attend a rally to uh, protest um, our premier here in Ontario and his cuts to Toronto Public Health. So that's the only reason why I actually broadcast that. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so, I, I mean, 
I, we visited Bon Scott's grave the last time we were in Australia in 2013. I usually don't do any tourist things. I usually concentrate on the show that I have to play. Mm, right. I, I first saw you guys way back in 2001. I don't know whether you, um, or, you know, I think it was in Manchester at Backyard Babies. Now, I don't know whether you prefer to talk to a journalist who you speak to with every release and every tour, so all the questions are new, or whether you, whether you don't mind hearing from someone who's watched from afar for a while but uh um i just wanted you your expectations way back then of, of being in this band and what lied lied ahead um compared to the reality um how, how big a difference how has it been has it been different to you anticipated or has it played itself out much as you expected uh from when i was a kid or yeah from when the band started you know when you first started touring overseas and doing that oh. sort of stuff yeah, well, I mean, when we started the band, we just wanted to play America, see if we can go down there and tour with our favorite bands, and that was really all that we wanted to do. Uh, we never even thought about going farther out than North America. Hmm. So when the opportunity arose to go to Europe and then <clears throat> and then go to other continents, it, it was definitely beyond what our expectations when we originally started the band, for sure. Yeah, and, and just, uh, I guess, with, um, you know, the way rock music has evolved since then, I've seen you uh, talking a little bit about that in interviews, and you, you said that you're kind of comfortable now that, that it's that rock is underground. So, you know, do you, do you, do you feel that the band has kind of realised its potential given the, the, the climate um, of, of that period, of the, of the last sort of 18, 19 years? Uh, no, because I've seen other rock bands kind of uh, exceed us and, and go past us. You know, bands like Volbeat and Airborne, they've done way better than we have. So they've set the ceiling that we still have to go and try and reach. And what, what's it going to take to reach that, Danko? What do, you, what, do, what, what do you need to do? What's the missing piece? Well, you know, the music industry isn't uh, a set, is, is not set in its ways. There's a lot of variables <laughs> Um, you can come out with a really great record, but all it takes is someone to ignore you, and no one will ever hear it. And that's why a lot of bands are out there that no one knows who could probably fill stadiums, but no one will ever know them because they never got a proper release. So it's hard for me to answer the question. I, I don't know. only thing we can do on our end is, is make good music, uh, music that we can stand behind and hopefully people will like. And I think we've been pretty consistent doing that now it's once we've made the record and put it out there it's it's, it's really in someone else's hands yeah right let's have a song danko what can we play something from the new album or, or whatever you want yeah how about uh, the first single dance dance dance
when she moving the feet. If you turn it up a little bit higher, gonna lose it and I'll start to perspire. I don't mind cause I'm along for the ride. I don't mind cause I'm along for the ride. I like to see her moving up in the live. I get off watching her gets me high. I don't mind cause I'm along for the ride. I don't mind cause I'm along for the ride. I like to watch her move her hips to the side. Watching her gets me high.